Well, we've been speaking about God's holiness over the past number of weeks, and um, we're going to continue to speak about it today. And last week, we, we spoke about God's holiness coming through us through um, condemnation or conviction and how that impacts our lives. And, and I want to continue to talk about that this morning, but I want to make sure that, first of all, we understand what a holy life is. A holy life is a happy life. I've said it before the last two weeks. I'll say it again. It's a, it's a happy life. It's a life of freedom from all forms of guilt and shame. A life that gives peace, assurance of purpose, fulfillment without any loss of excitement and enjoyment in this life, and then looking forward to an eternity beyond our imagination. A holy life is not a boring life. A holy life is something that we should all attain for. And we're going to talk more about that today. But even with the holiness of life and the good things of life, life will still throw stuff at you, just so you know that. I, I want you to make sure that you're not um, disillusioned here, that holiness and living for Jesus doesn't mean your problems are all going to go away. You're still going to have problems in this life, but we're assured that we're going to have Jesus with us. The Holy Spirit never, ever leaves us. He's with us like, the close, like a close friend and, and closer than a friend. So I just want you to know that the holiness of life is something that is grand and is something that we should uh, seek after and something we should chase after and know that you're never alone in the process. Holiness, as we know, has been given a bad reputation by the church and by the world. Holiness is seen as a bunch of rules and regulations and it becomes a, 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 a real walk of legalism. And we're going to talk about that in next weeks or weeks ahead, legalism. But today we're, we're still talking about condemnation and conviction because they are, um, they're a big part of life. But we're to pursue holiness in, in a life that sets us free from our bondages of this world. A, a holy life is not a bound up life. It's a life that says yes to what God says yes to and no to what God says no to, and then we enjoy life after that. This is a life that truly um, the world wants to have, that the world wants to have the kind of life that a holy person has, but they don't know where to get it because the world doesn't offer it. There is nothing in the world that offers the benefits of holiness. There's a lot of imitations, but there's nothing in this worldly life that can offer anything that comes close to having the peace and, and having the enjoyment that only Jesus can give us. So yet, when rules and regulations come along, they're met often with guilt and condemnation when we don't recognize what they're there for. Um, and I want to talk about that this morning so we can get a clear understanding of what, these, what guilt is and what condemnation is and what conviction is because they play an important role in the life of a Christian. And I want to understand, it's so important that we understand that we must understand the difference between condemnation and conviction, but yet they're a part of our life. And we need to know that. We need to understand that. Both condemnation and conviction are biblical in their terminology and in their concepts, and, and, and yet there's a big difference in them both. God uses both of them for his purposes. God uses condemnation and he uses conviction depending upon the person, depending upon, well, let me say it this way, depending upon the relationship that that person has with God will determine if condemnation or conviction is the player. 
in your life. This is why relationship with Christ is absolutely so vital because it depends on where you're at with Christ. Are you condemned or are you convicted? One or the other, but it all depends upon your relationship with Jesus and, and recognize that God is love. We all know that, right? We all know that God is love, and we, don't, we can never recognize how much God loves us. But you, we must understand also that God's love does not over-trump or overrun or overrule our choices. Our choices still have preeminence over the love of God. Even though God loves us so much that it's, that it's the relationship that the Lord wants to have with us. Yes, he wants to have a relationship, but that relationship is based upon what? It's based upon our choice. God can't force a relationship on us. It's based upon us choosing to have that relationship with him. So relationship is the key here. Relationship with God the Father is the end goal of our life. Relationship with God the Father, everything hinges upon that relationship. I want you to know that right now. That's the whole premise of what we're going to be talking about from here on out is depending upon the relationship that you and I have with Christ determines if we have condemnation in our life or if we have conviction in our life. John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24, in the New Living Translation, it says this. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Obviously, relationship here, love, is the, key, is the key hinge point on obedience. If I love God, if I have a relationship with God, then I will do what? I will obey Him. And if I don't love Him, I won't obey Him. It's the relationship. So by having a genuine and true relationship with Jesus changes everything in a person's life. This is different than a person who just claims to be a Christian but doesn't have that genuine relationship with God because they will claim one thing, but they won't live it out because they don't love God enough to obey Him. They may love Him to a degree. They may love Him by claiming they love Him, but if there's no true relationship with Him, they don't obey Him. And that's a problem. See, because God understands us very well. And if I am trying to sneak my way into him, sneak through a back door into him without giving him truly my love and my obedience, he, he doesn't recognize my relationship. He recognizes me when I obey Jesus. When I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I obey him is when I become an adopted child. And when I do that, then there is that relationship that I have with Christ or I have with God through Jesus. And that determines now if God, that relationship determines if God condemns me or if he convicts me. Because I will tell you, right, and we know this, that God is a just God. He has a system of holiness that he cannot break. He cannot bend the rules because I'm such a good guy or you're such a good person. He can't bend the rules for us. So he is, his holiness is based on his, on his system. And his system is, is pure and true. So we must identify 
then our relationship with Jesus, what is our relationship with Christ, so that we can then understand what are the difference between condemnation and conviction. So we talked about a lot about conviction last week, but I want to just touch base on it a little bit more so we can finish up on, on the conviction side of things. But first of all, the, the main difference between condemnation and conviction is where they lead you. Condemnation leads you further away from God. Condemnation leads you towards death because that's what you are. You're condemned. Conviction, on the other hand, leads you closer to God towards life, towards eternal life. Biblical condemnation, biblical condemnation, listen to me, is more than a feeling. Biblical condemnation is actually an identity. You are condemned to die because you haven't accepted Christ in your life. To be condemned, it means that you've been found guilty and you've been sentenced to death. You've been sentenced to a lifelong eternity in hell in punishment away from God's love. Because you've chosen not to accept Christ, you are now condemned, and that is who you are. You are a dead man walking. Not a good thing to be, but that's an identity. It's more than just a feeling, oh, I feel condemned. No, you are condemned. And you need to recognize how serious this is. If you don't have Christ in your life, if you haven't accepted Christ to be your Savior and then made him your Lord, you are not fooling anybody, maybe besides yourself. Conviction, on the other hand, is when we have become a believer in Christ and we've accepted Jesus in our life. Now conviction is when our wrongs have been identified and revealed to us. The believer's identity is in Christ. Not, condemn, not condemnation. The believer's identity is in Christ, not his worldly flesh. The Bible explains that Christians can be convicted of sin while not condemned. The Christian can be found guilty of sin and not yet be sentenced to the just judgment for those sins because Jesus paid the price for those sins. So therefore, I'm not condemned anymore because I'm a believer in Christ. I'm not a condemned man. I'm a redeemed man but yet I have some things to do to clear up my life and I have to continue to repent of those sins and I have to allow that conviction change me. I can't live where I was. I can't continue to live in that sinful man because that's, that's not God's character. If God comes into me and he makes me a new man, a new creation, yes, I still might make mistakes, but that's where conviction comes in and shows me my mistakes so that I can repent. And I can make it right with God, and I can accept the blood of Christ. So with that said, the next comment or the next statement is very important here because condemnation is for the unbeliever and conviction is for the believer. Condemnation is for the unbeliever, yet conviction is for the believer. And we must know the difference here. See, God loves everybody, and, and I... I love to think how much God loves me, and I wish I could grasp all of that he loves me. But, you know, and if it was totally up to God, if it really was totally up to God, he would have everyone come to him. God is not really wanting to condemn any man. He loves you all. He loves us all, no matter who we are, no matter where we are. I just watched a thing this week. I don't know if anybody else watched it on Ted Bundy. What a, what a, what a terrible situation that man did. What a terrible ex existence. But God loved Ted Bundy. God loved him. It wasn't his desire for Ted Bundy to do the things that he did. But even through those things, God still loved him. That's amazing to think that. God loved Adolf Hitler. Hard to think that. 
and God loves you. Hard to think that. Hard to think that he loves me because I'm just as bad of a sinner as they are. I was, but I'm no longer a sinner. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a redeemed man. Amen. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for you for, for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to be repent. But yet we must understand that God's character is such that he must carry out his judgments on people. If God could have his way, he would have everyone be redeemed. John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Let's stop there for, for a minute. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You believe in Jesus, you're no longer condemned. You're no longer condemned. Amen. But because God has given man free choice, God is forced to condemn the man that chooses not him. He doesn't have a choice in the matter. If you continue to finish that verse, verse 18, it says, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Politically, they don't like that verse. They don't like the fact that God is a condemning God. Politically, they don't, preachers don't like to talk about that. They just like to, they just like to read verse 16 and 17 of John 3.16. For God loved so much that he gave his only one, one and only son. But yet, verse 18, it can't be any more clear, folks. It can't be any more clear than the fact that God has a plan for all mankind to be saved. But mankind must make the choice to accept him. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. I just read this week that the Pope and the Ayman of Islam came together and they signed a joint document that is proclaiming one world religion that all religions lead to God. And they are trying to take that into the world. Basically, what we're doing, guys, this is the end times being set up. Recognize what this is. This is the end time where they're saying that God desired, it was God's will, that all religions would be set up for diversification so that anybody could come into their form of God, whatever God appears to them, and they could accept that and believe that, and it would all lead to the same God. They're calling, they're calling God our Father, the same God as Allah. And all the gods of Buddhist, Buddhism and uh, Islam and all gods are the same gods. That's what you're saying in this document. And they're signing this and they're bringing it together. And they want to, they want to propagate this into our political world. They want to propagate it into our religious world. But Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one way. It doesn't mean he doesn't love people. He loves people. He loves all those people. But he's the way. He's the only way. But if a man chooses not to believe and accept that Jesus came to save them through his shed blood, 
then God has no other choice than to condemn that man because that man is choosing his own way over God's way. So God is only doing what his character requires him to do. It's not his fault. God is not condemning the man that would choose Christ. You choose Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. Can you see how difficult it must be for God? He loves us so much, but yet if we choose him not, he has no choice but to say, away from me. It's our choice. It's hurting him. So condemnation is a state of the unbeliever's fate as long as they choose to remain an unbeliever. All right? I pretty much beat that horse to death. Right? Amen. We all believers? So as soon as a person receives the invitation to accept Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of the spirit of sin and death. Amen. There is now no condemnation. So Christian man, Christian woman, you're not condemned. Right? The moment you, be, the, the, the moment you accept Jesus into your life, you become a new man. You become a new person. However, what this requires is maybe some rearranging in your life. Because now what you've done is that you've changed owners. Before you were owned by Satan, you lived according to your flesh, you lived according to your plan, but as soon as you accept Jesus, there's a new, there's a new owner that takes over. And this requires rearranging some furniture <laughs> and some cleanup, a little restructuring in your life. And doesn't it only make sense that when you change owners, that the new owner typically comes in and makes some changes? Yeah, I mean, if you, any, anybody that's been through a uh, business transformation or a business transaction that's changed owners, the new owner comes in and changes some things. Well, it's no different with God. God comes in, and uh, you've been living your, your way for all your life prior to this, and now Jesus comes in, and he says, okay, now I'm, I'm your Savior, and now as you make me your Lord, I have some things that I want to change in your life. And we should be very willing to allow him to change those things. We shouldn't fight that change, should we? God is looking for the changes in our life that will give us the end result that he wants. See, it's important that we recognize that God's plan is not the here and now. God's plan is eternity. He's willing to take us where we're at. Yes, he loves you just the way you are. Once you make that transaction of ownership change, he's saying, okay, now I need to make some changes in your life. I need, I need to do some things in your life that are going to change what you've been into a new person that I want you to become. Does that make sense? Do we understand what that means? God is always looking at the end of the matter, and he uses the moments and he uses the time and everything that occurs in those moments for the purposes of his end. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I like the way the Living Bible Translation says it as well. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Do you you see the big caveat there? All things that happens to us are working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. It's his plan that we need to be fitting into, not ours. Are we choosing to love and obey God over the things of this world? 
If we are, then God uses the things that happen in our life today to accomplish the things that he wants for the future. He allows everything that happened to us to make us better than what we are right now, better than what we were. As I love him, he takes my, the stuff in life that we talked about earlier. It, it, life is still going to happen. Stuff is still going to happen. But God's going to take those things and he's going to use them for our good as we continue to love him and serve him. The things in this life are never to be the goal. What happens in this life is not the goal, but they're to be considered vehicles or the tools that God uses to shape us into the end product that God sees us. So we've said before, God is calling us to be holy. But holiness, hear this, very important that we understand this. Holiness is not the end goal either. Holiness is not the goal of our life. Holiness is simply a tool that God uses to get us into relationship with him that gives us the end life that he wants to have, and that's eternal life. So holiness, see, anything that we take, if I, if I make holiness to be, to be my goal, then I'm setting myself up for some real disappointments here. Because when I can't attain holiness, I fall into a rut called legalism. And I fall into a rut, a rut of self-condemnation. Because now I can't be holy enough in myself, and my goal is to be holy, so I'm losing the point of what my real goal is. My goal is to have relationship with Jesus. My goal is to have relationship with Jesus, and God uses holiness as a tool so that I can have that relationship. Make sense? We can't let things become our idols. We can't let things in this world, even the good things, become the end goal of our life, because if they become the end goal then we lose sight of who Jesus is. Jesus is the end result. And as I become holy, I become holy as he is holy, not for, my, not for the benefit of me becoming a holy person, but me having a relationship with Jesus who is holy. Does that make sense? I don't want to confuse anybody here because it, 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 I don't, it might sound that way, but if I, don't want to, if I place anything, anything, good, bad, or neutral, Above God, I'm making that thing a what? An idol. And what does God think about idols? He detests idol worship, doesn't he? Because what he wants is you and me in relationship with him. So conviction now is a, it's a tool that God uses as a way to bring us into that holy relationship with him. But again, holiness is not the goal. Relationship is the goal. Very important that we understand that because God uses conviction as the tool, but he doesn't use it as the end all. We said this last week, all Christians will experience regular and healthy times of conviction. All Christians will, will experience times of conviction, and we are to invite conviction into our life. One of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction to the Christian, into the Christian's life. Because when I'm veering off of God's path a little bit in my own way, the Holy Spirit will come and give me a little bit of a tweak, a little bit of a conviction in my life, and that's not to hurt me, it's to guide me. John 16, 8, and when he comes, who is he? The Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So conviction, then, is something I should seek as a Christian. Conviction, remember, is different than condemnation. Condemnation is leading you towards death. 
Condemnation is leading you towards further away from God. Conviction, on the other, on the other hand, leads us closer to Jesus through our obedience into eternal life. All right? Big difference in what they are. Conviction often comes in the form of discipline. If I'm being disciplined, let me ask you the question. Let me, let me ask this question because this can be kind of hard maybe to grasp as well. If I'm being disciplined, does that mean I'm, does it mean I'm bad? Not necessarily. It's interesting that the word discipline and disciple are so similar. In fact, they come from the same root word, discipline and disciple. They share a common word. The reality is one cannot be a true disciple of Christ if they refused to be disciplined by the Holy Spirit. One can't be a true disciple if one refuses to be disciplined. Again, it doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that you need some discipline in your life. You need to be disciplined for some things in your life. And that's what, that's what Holy Spirit conviction does. Being disciplined can be, can be understood in a couple, couple different ways. Disciplined can be in the form of being corrected for wrongdoings. In other words, looking back and thinking, oh, I did that wrong, so now I'm going to pay the consequences, and I'm going to be disciplined for my behavior. All right? We've all been disciplined by our fathers, right, or our mothers, or maybe needed to be some of us more than others, maybe. But we can also be disciplined in a way that we're to be careful to look forward to the future in our thought life and in our actions to stay on a certain course. I'm disciplined so that I don't make the same mistakes that I made in the past. I'm disciplined in my behaviors. I'm disciplined in my thought life. I'm disciplined in my actions. So there's two ways to be, think of being disciplined. One, I'm corrected for my behaviors and I'm disciplined, I'm punished. Or I'm disciplined in my, in my actions, in my thoughts, so that I don't repeat the same mistakes. Same word, two different contexts. Both forms of discipline are from the Lord, and both of them need to be given great attention if I'm a Christian. I need to recognize that God is going to discipline me. I am going to be disciplined for some of the wrong things that I've done in my actions. And I'm also going to have to be disciplined in my future thought patterns so that I don't go down that same path again. And both of them can require hard work. Both of them can be considered kind of painful sometimes. But both are forms of conviction that are leading us closer to Christ and never away from Him. So we're to invite a discipline. Discipline is something that was to be desired in the life of a true believer because the end result of discipline is both pleasing to the Lord and it's also leading us closer to relationship, into relationship. So we are being disciplined and having discipline at the same time. I'm being disciplined and having discipline at the same time. Make sense? Hopefully that helps us understand what discipline is. What are some of the benefits of inviting and accepting conviction or discipline in our lives? First of all, they keep us moving toward the goal of eternal relationship with the Father. They're helping me move toward the goal of having eternal relationship with my Father. Discipline is not the goal. Holiness is not the goal. It's relationship with Jesus. Relationship with my Father in heaven is the goal. And discipline is a way for me to get there. Conviction is a way for me to get there. They also promote growth and productivity in my life spiritually. They promote growth and productivity 
Jesus gives a good analogy of what this looks like in John chapter 15. We all know the parable of of the vineyard. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit, right? So here we have this tree that is being pruned of the branches that aren't bearing fruit. They may have a lot of leaves. It might might really look healthy on the tree because they've got a a, a lot of nice green leaves, but there's no fruit on that limb. That limb is basically just sucking the energy out of that tree but not producing any fruit. So what the gardener does, he comes along and he lops that branch off. He said, it looks pretty, but it's not productive. He lops it off, throws it in the fire so that the limbs that are producing fruit have more of the life-giving energy of the tree would flow into that branch. That's making that tree more productive. Now, that's not saying that tree's bad. He's not condemning that tree. That tree is still good for fruit. It's still good for what it's supposed to be doing. There are just some portions of that tree that needed to come off. That's what conviction is. That's what the Lord's discipline is. He's coming to your, your, your life and my life, and he's saying there are some things in your life that need to come off because they're not producing fruit. You're not growing deeper. You're growing wider. We need to grow deep in God's Word. We need to get a good, solid foundation of God's Word so that when we grow and when we do bear fruit, that our limbs are, can sustain the fruit, that we, can, that we can be more fruitful for Him. This makes the tree more productive for the owner of the orchard. And there's nothing negative here. That tree is not being punished. The tree is going through a conviction process. It's going through a pruning process to make that tree more productive. Holy conviction is that. Holy conviction brings a pruning of the things in our lives that aren't necessarily good or bad for us. In other words, there can be a lot of neutral things in our life that aren't bad, but maybe just shouldn't be there. Do you know what I'm talking about? There are some things in life that that aren't producing anything spiritual. They aren't producing anything eternal. They're not necessarily taking me away from God, but they're not productive. So those are the things that we need to take off and, and we need to lop out of our life. How often have you said or have you found yourself never having enough time to do the things you know you should do? Oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to come to church. I don't have time to volunteer in church. I don't have any time to you know, witness the people because I'm so busy. When we find ourselves running in circles, chasing our own tails like that, do we ever sit back and evaluate our priorities and determine if we should be doing some pruning of some things in our life? Maybe I'm so busy with the neutral things in life that I can't get to the good things in life because I'm so busy just doing nothing. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I get that way. Sometimes you just get busy doing nothing. And, you, and you, then you aren't doing nothing. You're not, you're not accomplishing anything. And this is the discipline. This is where God would bring his Holy Spirit convicting power to say, hey, that's a good, it's not bad what you're doing, but lap it off. It's not worthy of the time. We only have so much time in life. Let's make sure we're using it wisely. Amen. How easy is it to find ourselves doing things that have no, lost, no lasting value? That's easy. So this is where we need to invite the the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. 
to help us so that we would be willing to let the dead or the energy-sucking branches fall off our lives. Don't justify your life. Don't justify those things. Just recognize what they are. And this is when we need to pray like the psalmist. Psalms 139, 23, and 24. The Living Bible says it this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Anything that's wicked in me, take it away. Lead me in the way of everlasting. See, when I can start doing that continually in my life, that's a self-pruning process that I can invite the Holy Spirit. Remember, we said earlier in the service, the Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit. He does not come in and barge and break the door down. He's waiting for you to invite him in. And when you invite him in, he's going to tell you some things. Now listen to what he's saying to you. Be wise. Another form of discipline and conviction is testing. Sometimes God just brings tests along the way to us. Again, you're not a bad person. You haven't made any mistakes. God isn't disciplining you. He's just giving you a test. Is that biblical? Does God ever talk about tests in life? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. These trials are only to test your faith, to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after, after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. So just so you know that God does test you and me. There, in fact, that's worth a whole sermon. We're not even going to talk about, about that. We don't have time. But that's worth a whole day in itself, just talking about the tests that God brings to our life. Just know that if you're, if you're in one of those times right now, be strong. Don't worry about it. God's there. God's got you. He's not going to let you fall. He may be testing you. He may be testing to see if you've got the fiery, fiery determination of the Holy Spirit in your life. But don't give up because he's not giving up. He's just bringing you a test. I love Deuteronomy 31.6. The Living Bible says, Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God will be with you. He will neither fail you nor forsake you. Do you recognize that? God is on your side. He may be bringing conviction in your life, but he's not going to let you fall. Conviction is, it's interesting, it's kind of like discipline, right? Conviction has two connotations as well. Conviction can be a sharp, pointed guilt, that comes into your life, and the Holy Spirit would come and say, I want you to change that thing, whatever that thing is in your life. We all have those things that God's not pleased with. We all have them. I don't care how good we are. We're not holy in ourselves, right? So we need to have the Holy Spirit conviction. And, and one way of conviction, the way it works, is almost like discipline. In fact, it is discipline. The Holy Spirit says, that thing in your life, Mike, that you grumble against, I want you to stop it. That thing in your life that you're doing in replace of me, I want you to stop it. But conviction is very sharp and pointed. It comes right to the point. It says, I want you to deal, I'm dealing with this particular issue with you. That's conviction. Now, the other side of conviction is kind of like being, it's kind of like having discipline. Because now I can have a holy conviction that's going to look forward like being disciplined 
is the same thing. I'm going to have a holy conviction that I'm not going to do the things that I was doing before. Or I'm going to do the things that God is leading me to do. So I can be convicted of my sin and I can have a conviction of my actions. That I'm going to walk forward in holy conviction. And that's going to lead us into what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks is legalism. Because if, I'm, if I, I can be really legalisticness, legalism can be a real downfall of conviction. And we're going to talk later about the difference between being legalistic and being a holy conviction. It's a big difference. But we need, to be, we, we need to have a holy conviction. Jackie, if you'd come, we'll try to wrap this up today. But a holy conviction is something that I, I need to welcome that. Even though it doesn't feel good, even though I don't enjoy it, I need to have a conviction in my life. It needs to be part of who I am. I need to have that Holy Spirit-led conviction in my life so that every day I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to be closer to Jesus today than I was yesterday. How do I get there? By allowing the Holy Spirit's conviction in my life to take me there. The Holy Spirit will give me the power to do that. For some of us this morning... We may be struggling in some areas, and I'm not. we don't know if it's condemnation or conviction. You may be wondering, is the Lord condemning me or is he convicting me? Well, let me tell you that the, the answer is the same. The result, the way to get out of it is the same. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference if, he's, if, you, if you are on the line of your salvation and, and you're feeling condemnation from the enemy or you're feeling conviction from the Holy Spirit. The way out of that is repentance. The way out of condemnation and the way out of conviction is repentance. Saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for what I've caused you. I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused you. So now I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to repent of that action, whatever that was. And I'm not going to go back there. I'm going to go forward now. It doesn't make any difference. So let's not even worry about what it was, let's look at the solution of what it is, and the solution is Jesus. Don't let the devil confuse you. Don't let the devil wrap you up in details. Focus on Christ. It doesn't make any difference if we're being condemned or or, or convicted. The fact of the matter is the only thing that matters is my relationship with Jesus. Come to him this morning. Ask him to forgive you, and I will tell you that he will. Don't justify your thoughts. Don't justify your actions. And don't wait for tomorrow thinking tomorrow's going to be a better day. Today is the day of salvation. The end goal is relationship with our Father through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about this morning. So where are you? Where are you on your journey? Are you struggling with condemnation because maybe you haven't given your life to, life to Christ? Or are you feeling the pain of conviction because it can be painful but it's a good thing it's a good thing don't fight it don't fight conviction welcome conviction welcome the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to free you amen would you close your eyes with me this morning in fact would you stand with me this morning just do some soul searching in your heart Just pray the prayer of the psalmist. 
Father, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in a way of everlasting. Father, if there's anything in my life that is not pleasing to you, then bring your Holy Spirit conviction in my life and point it out to me that I can do something about it today. I don't want to take it with me. I don't want to take it home with me today. I want to deal with it right now. And I want to set my life on a further path towards finding Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just give you time to work. Holy Spirit, we give you time to deal with us right now. We invite your presence here, Holy Spirit, to do your work. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into this place right now and bring your convicting power in our life through the loving arm of the Holy Spirit. And just show us, God. Show us the things that we've, we've missed. We're going to sing a song in a minute that Jackie's playing. Turn our eyes towards Jesus. But as we sing this song, I want to just open up the altars this morning. And if there's some things in your life that you need to deal with, if the Lord is convicting you about some things, this is the time to take care of it. Don't justify it away. Don't, th- don't, don't think it's going to get better by itself because I'm telling you, it won't get better by itself unless you deal with it. If the Holy Spirit is doing some rearranging in your life, let him do it. Invite him to come in and rearrange the furniture a little bit. So this morning as we sing this song, the altars are open. I just encourage you to come forward and just make this a day of renewal for you in Jesus' name. You know, folks, so many times we come, to, we, we come to points like this in a service. And we think that, you know, if I go forward, people are going to think that I'm a sinner. And I'm just telling you guys, we, we're not really being obedient to the Holy Spirit if that's what we're thinking. I want this church to get used to coming to the altar. And it's not that I want to get an emotional high at the altar. What it is, I want to be emotionally humble at the altar. I want, to, I want it to get our hearts tuned to the fact that we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
Because if I can't be sensitive here, I can't be sensitive in the world. If I can't be sensitive to the Lord saying, go up, pray, make it known, just spend time with me, then if I can't be sensitive here, I'm not going to be sensitive on the job. When the Holy Spirit's asking me to do something more bold, like to actually witness to somebody. He loves us so much that he really doesn't want us to walk away. Let's sing it again, and let's just continue to invite the presence of the Spirit here. In Jesus' name. I'm not going to pray a benediction. The altar's open. You're welcome to go home if you'd like. You're welcome to come to the altar and turn your eyes toward Jesus.